Well, it's a humbling thing to be here uh, and preach God's Word. And as we talk about eschatology, it's always good for us to have humility as we discuss these things. Because uh, there's not a preacher in this world that knows everything there is to know about the end times. Not, not any of us. And so we just want to approach it with a great deal of humility. And keep in mind that Jesus told this discourse to, to four disciples who would actually never go through the tribulation period. They would die long before that. But Jesus still took all that time to discuss this with those guys. And so even though we're not going to go through the tribulation if we're saved, and I cannot take for granted that all of us here today are saved, so I'm going to preach the gospel too. Um, but even though if we're saved, we're not going to go through the tribulation period, there are still principles here that are good for all ages, and, and you'll see that. Let's go to the first slide. Now, if you remember from Matthew 23, uh, the context, the immediate context of this discourse, I want you to notice in verse 37, Matthew 23, notice Jesus is old Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He doesn't say old Peachland, Peachland, uh, old Wadesboro, Wadesboro. The context of the Olivet Discourse is extremely Jewish in nature. And as you go through this, it becomes even more and more obvious to you. And notice he says, how often I would have gathered you. But he says, you would not. Now, the Calvinist has a problem here because they like to preach uh, irresistible grace. But here Jesus is saying, I wanted to gather you, but you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't let me. And so we see here the sovereignty of God, but also human responsibility. Um, God chooses me, but I have to choose him too. He loves me first, but I have to love him, you know, and I have to uh, put my faith in him. Now, the Greek word for gather here is the word episynago, which is where we get our word synagogue from. Now, I want you to see something here. He says in verse 37, I wanted to gather you, but you were not willing. But flip over to Matthew 24 and verse 31. And when you get there, he says he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall do what? Yeah. Same Greek word, episynago. So something happens between Matthew 23 and Matthew 24, and that's what we're going to talk about. He wanted to gather them in the first century, but they were not willing. But he is going to gather them at some point in time, but there's going to be some things that will precede that gathering. Are you with me? All right. So notice at the end of Matthew 23, verse 29, Jesus says, I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth forever. Is that what he says? Nope. He says, you're not going to see me until there's a condition. You see that? Until you shall say, and here he's quoting Psalm uh, 118, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right. Now, now, this is a messianic psalm, Psalm 128. Okay. So Jesus is not coming again to the earth, back to Israel. By the way, he's coming to the Mount of Olives. That's where he's giving this discourse. That's ground zero. But he's not going to come again to the Mount of Olives until the Jewish leaders say, what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Flip back with me to Matthew 21. 
if you will. Matthew 21. This is not in my slides here. Matthew 21 is what we refer to as Palm Sunday, or the triumphant entry, perhaps. You might want to call it. Uh, Matthew 21, are you there? Okay, look at verse 8. It says, A very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and straw them in the way. And the multitudes that went before that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed well, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why were they saying that? Because they were hailing him as the Messiah, as the King. Now the Jewish leadership did not receive him. Uh, they said he had Beelzebub. Let's go to the next slide. So what's going to get us uh, from uh, point A to point B? Capital T, tribulation. Hosea 6, excuse me, 5 verse 15. The Lord says, I will go and return to my place. Well, where is the Lord returning to, do you wonder? From earth to heaven. That's the upper room. Remember he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, I'm going to return into my place. Notice that word. Until? Until they have done what? Acknowledge their offense. And in their what? Affliction. They will seek me early. What's the affliction? Tribulation. Look at Jeremiah 30. He says, ask you now and see whether a man uh, can have a baby. Now, obviously, Jeremiah didn't, didn't realize that, that we would be woke and, and we'd have pregnant men in the year, you know, 2022. 20, and I'm being facetious here. But he says, ask you, and he compares it to labor pains. And he says, alas, the day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of the church's trouble. Is that what it says? Come on, folks. Are you Jacob? Is Jacob the church? No. Jacob is Israel. The tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not the time of the church's trouble. The tribulation is not intended to purify the church. There's only one thing that purifies the church, friends. That's the blood of Jesus. The only thing that's going to make us ready for the rapture is the blood of Jesus. I, I'm going to say that again. The only thing that's going to make us ready for the rapture is the blood of Jesus. Amen. Hey, you're awake now. Glory to God. Let's go to the next slide. Now, Paul taught this also in the New Testament. You've got to keep your program separate. God has a program for the church. He's got a program for Israel. Notice Paul says, Romans 11, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. And I don't want you to be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel forever. Is that what it says? Notice that word until is there again. Until. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then what's going to happen? All Israel is going to be saved. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from the church. Is that what it says? From Jacob. Jacob and the church are two separate entities and God has two separate programs. The tribulation period is for Jacob to bring them to faith in the Messiah. That's the purpose of the tribulation is to bring Israel to faith in her Messiah. All right, um, so let's go to Matthew 24 now. 
verse 1, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Uh, I think Matthew is uh, pointed here. We're seeing that the glory of God has departed from the temple because Jesus is the glory of, the, of God, you know. Uh, he's the glory of God manifest. He departs from the temple. And it says, The disciples came to him and they showed him the buildings of the temple. Now these guys were Galilean fishermen for the most part. Probably hadn't been, spent much time in the big city of Jerusalem. They saw all those buildings and the stones. And let me tell you, it was a magnificent structure. And they were impressed with it. It's kind of like when you buy a new car. Anybody bought a new car in the last four or five years? Nobody, okay. How about a, how about a new used car? <laughs> and what do you want to do when you get that new car? I mean, it's just human nature. You want to get out there and show it off, don't you? You buy a new house. And you hadn't thought about having any company over in a long time, but you just all of a sudden think, you know, we ought to have Christmas at our house this year. <laughs> They're showing all the temples. Look at this. They think Jesus is going to be impressed with it. Look, Jesus, look at all the temples. And Jesus says, you know, I can just see him. You know, and, and he says, I want you to see something. He said, do you see all these things? He said, I truly I say unto you, there shall not be left one stone upon another. That thing that you're so enamored with, that you think is so amazing, it's going to be a pile of rubble shortly. And may I say this to you, friend? If the Lord didn't build the house, they labor in vain that build it. They, you know. This temple uh, was Zerubbabel's temple, and it was improved upon by Herod. And uh, the renovations had gone on for many years. You know, the temple was not finished being renovated until about six years before it was destroyed. Talk about laboring in vain, Brother Treadaway. Jesus said, I'm not impressed with these things because the temple is going to be destroyed. Now let's go to the next slide. As the church of the living God, how much are we concerned with the, with the temple? I, I'm not overly concerned with it, are you? With the destruction of the temple? How about animal sacrifices? Jesus is a sacrifice, right? So, to read the church into this is to, is to see concerns that the church doesn't have. In the New Testament, what or who is the temple of God? We are. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. In the New Testament, God has a people for His temple. 1 Corinthians 3, um, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 2, all say that we are the temple of God, you see. So those questions the disciples asking, they're asking out of a Jewish concern. These are not things that we're worried about, you know. Now, I, when I hear about the red heifer, they found him and stuff, that's exciting because it shows me we're one step closer to Christ returning. But as far as the buildings of the temple and that kind of stuff, I'm not overly worried about it, you know. Let's go to the next slide. So in verse 3 of Matthew 24, they said, As he sat down upon the Mount of Olives, 
the disciples, and, and how many disciples were they? Four. It was Peter, James, John, and who? Andrew. They came to him privately, and they asked two questions. It looks like three, but it's only two in the Greek. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the King James' world, it's the end of the age. Now, Matthew is only going to answer question number two. The reason being, Matthew is concerned with the kingdom. Matthew's gospel is about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the king and the kingdom. But turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke also gives the Olivet Discourse. But Luke is going to deal with different concerns. All right, who wants to be my reader today? I'm going to nominate James Cannon. <laughs> now talk real loud in the microphone, okay? Because we're recording this. Now Luke records the Olivet Discourse. But I want you to notice how he records the question of the disciples. Look at verse, read verse 7 for us, uh, James. Luke 21, verse 7. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what, sh what sign will be there when these things shall come to pass? Notice they didn't ask about the end of the age. And Luke doesn't record that, okay? Matthew does record it. Because Matthew's going to deal with the end of the age. Matthew does not address the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Luke does. Luke addresses the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay, so uh, verses, we're still in Luke 21, right? Uh, verses 8 through 11 are almost identical to Matthew 24. But, but read verse 12, James, just verse 12 of Luke 21. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. You notice Luke says, but before these things. Luke is dealing with a totally different issue here. Now, he deals with the end of the age too. But Luke is dealing with what's going to happen before the birth pains. You see that? Now, what is the key sign in Matthew's gospel? Does anybody remember uh, Matthew 24? The key sign of the end is the abomination of desolation. In Luke 21, there's a different sign. Look in verse 20. Read verse 20 for us, uh, James. And when ye shall see Jerusalem com uh, compassed with armies, then know that the desolation any mention of the abomination of desolation there? No. He's talking about Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. Why? Because he's dealing with 70 A.D. You know the interesting thing about 70 A.D.? When Titus destroyed the temple, he actually had given an order not to burn the temple. But see, Jesus had promised that the temple will be destroyed and not one stone will be left upon another. So uh, Jesus' will was not circumvented by Titus' desire. He wanted to preserve the temple as a relic, as a trophy. But God's in control, amen? And so, uh, anyway. All right, I'm not going to beat that horse to death. Let's go to the next slide. 
<clears throat> One thing you have to understand as you're reading uh, the Gospels and, and studying end time prophecy is that the tribulation is divided into two halves. Okay? Daniel 9.27 is the key to understanding uh, all of the end times, honestly. It's the 70-week prophecy that Gabriel gave to Daniel. Several fascinating things about it. We talk, we're in the Christmas season and uh, Thanksgiving and such. Gabriel predicted when Jesus would be born and presented to Israel. He, he did in Daniel chapter 9. He predicted that, that exactly when Christ would come the first time, to the very day, Dr. Harold Honer from Dallas Theological Seminary did the calculations, and it comes up to Palm Sunday when Jesus presents himself. Amazing. One of the most amazing prophecies of the Old Testament. But Daniel also, Gabriel also prophesied a 70th week. Notice Daniel 9.27 says, He, this is Antichrist, he shall current confirm the covenant with many for how long? And how many years is that? Seven years. One seven in the Hebrew. Uh, the, the, the tribulation period lasts seven years. And what is the sign that tribulation has, beca- has begun? It, it's right there, yeah. Say it louder, James. The signing of the covenant. And I, and I tell you this because there's a lot of sensational prophecy teachers out there. And every time there's an earthquake, they'll say, well, we're in the tribulation period. Or every time there's a pandemic, and there'll, there'll be more, folks. Uh, whenever there's a pandemic, they'll say, oh, the tribulation has started. Or if there's a hurricane, or there's three out in the tropics. Oh, no, the, the sign that the tribulation has begun is the confirming of the covenant. That's when the 70th week of Daniel begins. Are y'all with me? If you're not, we can talk after the service. But we'll talk nicely. We're not going to fuss and fight about it. Uh, the Bible speaks of two different periods of three and a half years. And there's several ways it's referred to. Um, Daniel 7 and Daniel 12 and Revelation 12 talks about a time, times, and half a time. How many years is that? A time is one, times is two, and half a time is three and a half years. Revelation 11 verse 2 describes the period as how many months? 42. This is an open book test, guys. <laughs> um, Revelation 11.3 talks about 1,203 uh, score days. How many is that? Three and a half years. All right, let's go back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, I'm going to take you halfway to the, tribu- to the midpoint of the tribulation period. Aren't you glad? I'm going to take you halfway there, but I'm, I'm going to leave you at the midpoint of the tribulation period. All right. Um, Brother James, if you want to speak real loud into that microphone there, uh, if you would read Matthew 24. Uh, do verses 4 through 8. And Jesus, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive.
receive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. All right, thank you. So all of these signs here, Jesus says, are the first part of the tribulation period. They're the beginning of the birth pains, um, or sorrows, as the King James says. Look at the first sign. First sign is deception. Uh, now, we live in an era, an era of deception right now. But when the tribulation begins, it'll be on a wide scale. And think about this, too. The church will be gone at this point. And so there'll be no real pillar of truth in the earth. And it's going to be real easy for the Antichrist and his minions to do their thing. He said, many will come and say, I am Christ. And the Greek is ego imi Christos. Understand that the Antichrist doesn't just come against Christ, but he comes in place of. He's a counterfeit Christ. He said, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. Now people will say, well, uh, is Russia's invasion of Ukraine a sign of the end times? Probably, but it's not the tribulation period. It's setting things up. Ezekiel 38 says that Israel will be invaded from the north. That's that general area. So I think things are setting up, uh, but, but we can't say definitively or dogmatically that, th that this is the harbinger of, uh, of the end. But he says, uh, all of these things, uh, you're going to hear about them. See that you be not troubled. If you watch the news and you just digest that on a regular basis, you're going to be troubled. And if you're like me, if you watch it very long, you're going to get mad. You ever catch yourself just almost wanting to cuss as you watch the news? Not, not, you, not, not you, of course. But you think, man, could these people be such idiots? Could they be such idiots? And, uh, and if you watch that and you, you digest that all the time, you're going to be troubled. What is the way to stay away from deception? It is to stay in the Word of God, folks. You stay in the Word of God, a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, your faith's going to grow. Number two, your doubts are going to go by the wayside. And, and number three, you're not going to be troubled. You're not going to be moved. Because you understand that no matter what happens, God's in control. He is in control of human history. He says, all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. <clears throat> now, he says, for nation shall rise against nation. That's ethnic group against ethnic group. Uh, kingdom against kingdom. World powers. You do understand that in the tribulation period, there's going to be world war. We hear a lot about World War III. It's coming, brother. You don't want to be here for it either. Yes, there are probably several, several different kinds of wars that are going on during that time. There'll be famines. You know when there's nuclear war, it produces famine? 
There'll be pestilences. Did you see it's plural? Not just pestilence, but pestilences in the plural. And I'm telling you, it's, I believe there's going to be things that's going to make COVID-19 look like a bad cold that's coming. And earthquakes in various places or diverse places. There's a convergence of things. There's a lot of these things going on. And what do we know about birth pains and contractions? Any, any woman will tell you that's had a baby. As they, as they begin, uh, they, they, incre- they begin to increase in frequency and also in intensity, right? So things are going to get worse and worse and worse. There's going to be a convergence of, uh, of these things. He said all these are the beginning of, now the King James says sorrows, uh, literally birth pangs. Let's go to the next slide. Now, the Greek word for sorrow is odin. <clears throat> Isaiah 13 describes uh, the day of the Lord as, a, as labor pains. You see that? Isaiah 13, 6 says, They shall be afraid, and pangs and sorrows shall take a hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. We've already read Jeremiah 30 that talks about that the, the day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble, is likened unto birth pains. Let's go to the next slide. Paul expands upon this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. He says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as what? Labor pain. I think King James says travail, but same thing. Labor pain. Odin is the Greek word. Upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And I've got a quote here from Dr. Leon Morris. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but there was an expectation among the Jews. All of the Jews had this expectation that when the Messiah came, there would be a time of worldwide trouble and that the, the enemies of Israel would, would come against uh, Jerusalem. And Zechariah predicts that too, Zechariah 14. But that it would culminate with the coming of the Messiah, but there would be great world conflict right before the coming of Messiah. And so when Jesus talks about labor pains, he's speaking to them in their vernacular because they, the Jews expected that when Messiah came, there would be a time of great trouble, be a time of great distress uh, when the Lord uh, returns. All right. Now, Matthew 24, verse 9 says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations... Notice this phrase right here, for my name's sake. Now, we see this on a small scale now. It's amazing to me that the world makes fun of Christianity all the time. You can make fun of Christians. You can make fun of Jesus. Make fun of church. You ever notice they don't ever make fun of Islam? The world never picks on Islam. The world never picks on Buddhism. They're, they're never the butt of the jokes on Saturday Night Live or all the late night pundits. Only Christians. You know why? Because Satan hates the one true way of salvation. And he's the God of this world. And those that follow this world, you can talk about anything in public discourse, but you bring up the name of Jesus, brother, and it's like a lightning rod. You can pray in the name of God, Allah, the Creator, whatever. You start praying in the name of Jesus and people start getting nervous. And people start getting divisive. 
And he said, you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. We see that now, but it's going to be on a grand scale in the tribulation period. Then shall many be offended, he says. The Greek word is scandalizo, or trapped up. And they will literally fall away because the pressure is going to be so great. These false converts, they're going to be an inch deep, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep in their faith. And shall betray one another and shall hate one another. That's amazing, isn't it? But Jesus said that there's coming a time when Christians who profess to be Christians in the, in the tribulation period are not only going to fall away from the faith, but they're going to persecute the true Christians. We saw a little glimpse of that when COVID first happened. Remember, we were hearing people talking about, well, if you see your neighbor having a cookout, call them and report them, you know, and that kind of stupid stuff. That's on a small scale, but this is going to be on a wide scale. It's going to be really difficult. Verse 11, many false prophets. Notice he doesn't say a few. Many false prophets will, will arise and shall deceive many. What was the first sign Jesus said? Take heed that no man deceive you. Deception, folks, is going to be the order of the day during the tribulation period. It will be absolutely the order of the day. And it's going to be so confusing, Jesus said, that if it were possible, it's not, but if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And we'll talk more about the elect in a moment. And that's not the church here, that's Israel. But, but anyway, it says, Because iniquity, the Greek word is anomia, it means lawlessness, because it shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold, wax cold. We see that already now. I mean, people are just rude and hateful, aren't they? It used to be, it used to be that we would greet one another and treat one another kindly, and, and neighbors knew one another, and they helped one another out. But, but now, even in our own neighborhoods, there's adversarial relationships with one another, and we don't even know our neighbors, and we don't want to know them. And, and we get out on the highway, and we just it's like every man for himself. you know, It's like survival of the fittest kind of thing. But it's going to be on a wide scale. Th remember this too, folks. When the rapture happens, the restrainer is taken out. And if things are bad right now with the churches here, Imagine when the church is taken away. It's going to be hell. Pardon the expression. It's going to be hell on earth. Some of you say, well, I'll get saved in the tribulation period. Wow. You're playing Russian roulette. You don't know that you'll survive. And even so, you don't know that you've got the moxie to be able to stand for Christ. I'm going to say this. If you can't stand for Christ now, I don't think there's any way you will then. This is as easy as it's ever going to be, guys. All right, verse 13. But he that shall endure to this end, the same shall be saved. Let's talk about this for just a minute. The Calvinists would take this. I think Augustine, back in the you know, 4th, 5th century, he took this, and he was kind of the first one who preached Calvinism. Calvin just stole it from Augustine. But he took this to preach the perseverance of the saints. Okay. This verse should not be lifted out of its context to give you the impression that if you, just, if you can just hold on as tight as you can to God, that, that you'll make it to heaven one day. If you take this verse, if you lift it out of its context, that's what it'll give you the impression, right? He that endures unto the end. I'm holding on. I, I know I can make it. It's like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. And it gives you that impression if you lift it out of context. But what this is teaching here is that during the tribulation period, 
Those that survive and make it to the end will enter into the kingdom. That's what it's teaching. And you need to understand that because the basis of your salvation is not your ability to hold on to Jesus. It's not. It's His holding on to you. Now, we're told to abide in Him. That's our responsibility. We must abide in Him. And by abiding in Him, we prove that we are truly believers. But the basis of our salvation, you say, well, Henry, just preach salvation. I'm going to do that right now. Is that okay? There's but one way to be saved. It's not joining the church. It's not getting baptized. It's not shaking a preacher's hand. You might as well shake a donkey's tail. And some might say you do when you shake the preacher's hand. You know, Balaam had a talking donkey. And some of you say, well, we got one that talks every Sunday at Deep Springs. Yes, sir. <laughs> no, there's one way to be saved. Mark, you're laughing way too hard, brother. That, that just, Mark's like, yes, I really feel that deep down. It's, it's just, <laughs> Preach on Donkey Kong, okay. <sighs> we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Hallelujah. By the blood of Jesus, having been justified freely by His grace, we have peace with God. Glory be to God. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. The same way Abraham got saved is the way you and I come into the kingdom. Same way, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved. Are we all on the same page here? Good. So don't leave here saying the preacher didn't tell me how to get saved. I just told you. Repent, be born again. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Period. End of story. So what then is the basis of my security? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, I am confident of this one thing, this very thing, that he who has begun to get work in you will be faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is not only the author of my faith, praise God, but he's the finisher, the perfecter of my faith. From beginning to end, it is by grace. It is by faith. It is by the Lord's mercy alone that I can have any confidence that I'm going to be saved. Man, if this thing was all, all, all up to me, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Let's go to the next slide. Here is the basis of your security found in John chapter 10. This is one of those great I am sections of the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. <laughs> and in John 10, he makes an, a very powerful statement here, verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Are any of his sheep here today? Do you hear him? He says, and I know them. It's important that Christ knows you. Oh, he knows everybody that's ever been born. But I'm talking about know you in the relational sense. He says, I know them, and they follow me. That's evidence of your salvation. You know? And I give unto them temporary grace. Is that what it says? I give unto them eternal life. The life itself is eternal. That means when you get saved, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to be saved. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to have eternal life. You have eternal life if you're saved right now. This is the start of something good, my friend. 
It starts here and it ends in glory. Hallelujah. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now, it's more emphatic in the Greek. Y'all want to learn some Greek today? I'm going to let you learn a little bit of Greek. And you can go home and tell your friends you know how to say some Greek. The Greek word for never here is a double negative. It's ume, not oh me, but ume. Let's all say that together on the count of three. One, two, three. Ume, you Greek-speaking rascals. Ume. Now here's how it reads in the Greek. Here's how it reads in the Greek. Uh, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. It's ume eis ion opolami. They shall never ever to the end of the age die or perish. That means if you're saved, you're secure. Now, if you're not saved, you're not secure. If you're trusting in anything other than the blood of Jesus, you're not secure. If you're trusting in your good works, well, I'm a good person. That'll send you straight to hell. That'll send you straight. There's a lot of, quote, good people in hell. But the truth is, there's none good, no, not one. That's what Paul says. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You remember those old commercials? I guess that's still the same slogan. You're in good hands with Allstate. Remember that? E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. You're in good hands with Allstate. If you're saved, you're in the grip of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's, that's the one that measured the, the earth, the universe, with a span. That's that same hand who holds the world in the hollow of his hand. That's the one who's holding on to you. And that would be enough, Preacher Jackson, that'd be enough. But he says, my father who gave them to me, did you know you're a gift to the son? Now I know you might not feel like God's gift to anything. But if you're saved, you are God's gift to Jesus Christ. You know that the father is arranging a marriage for his son. I don't have time to go into all that imagery. but All right, so you're in the grip of Jesus. And he says, my father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of whose hand? Oh, wow. I'm in the grip of the son, but I'm also in the grip of the father. You see that? I'm in the grip of the son, but I'm also in the grip of the father. Now tell me how I'm going to get out of there. Why would you want to anyway? He gave them, and my father, I and my father are one. People say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He just did. <laughs> I and my Father are one. We're almost done here, guys. I promise. Verse 14 is the last verse. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this verse. There's a lot of people that teach that the rapture can't happen until the gospel goes into every remote village. And, uh, and, and, and we use that as motivation for missions. Now listen to me very carefully. The church ought to be about missions. And if we're not, we're about the wrong thing. Because Jesus gave us what we call the Great Commission. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
But this verse is not teaching, folks, that Jesus cannot come back until the gospel has gone to every remote village. The preaching of the gospel is going to really have its full force during the tribulation period. Furthermore, you and I are not... Notice this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. You see that? Verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom. You and I don't preach the gospel of the kingdom the way they preached it. Let's go to the, the, the next slide. Now, the first one to preach the gospel of the kingdom was John the Baptist. I'm going to go through these quickly. In Matthew 3, John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? Now, why was John the Baptist preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Because the king was right there. And had they received him, they would have had the kingdom right then. And I'm glad they didn't. And God knew they wouldn't. But um, Jesus Christ in Matthew 4 and in chapter 9, Jesus preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why was the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because the king was there. And if they had received him, they would, have, they would have had the kingdom. Now the twelve, they are commissioned to preach the kingdom uh, gospel. And also the seventy in Luke 10. Now I've got an asterisk here but beside Matthew 10. Scott, I want you to turn there. Matthew 10. If you'll just indulge me just a little while longer. Matthew 10, now this is when Jesus calls the twelve and he commissions them. The king is sending out his twelve ambassadors, as it were. All right, James, would you read Matthew 10, verses 5 through 7? These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city, or excuse me, go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you see, this, see something unique about the gospel of the kingdom? Jesus said, don't go to the Gentiles with it, and don't even go to the Samaritans with it, but go to who? The house of Israel. Because to them is the gospel of the kingdom. You got it? You see the distinction there. You and I don't preach the gospel of the kingdom. I can't say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, because he's not coming to the earth for at least seven years. Now, we can say the return of the, the rapture is imminent. We can say that, and I believe that. It could happen before I'm done talking here. And some of you wish it would happen. Or maybe you wish it would have happened 20 minutes ago. <laughs> but, um, but the gospel of the kingdom is, is a different thing. You and I are not preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You notice the, the preaching of the apostles in the gospels. There's, there's no pre they're not preaching about the cross. They're not preaching about the resurrection. Right? That's not the gospel of the kingdom. They're not preaching about uh, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. However, you and I had better preach about those things. That's what Paul says the gospel that we're to be preaching in 1 Corinthians 15. We are to preach that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. That's the cross. That he was buried according to the scripture. That he rose again from the dead on the third day according to the scripture. That is the gospel that you and I are commissioned to preach. And you better have those elements in there. Uh, we preach belief in Jesus Christ and the, and the, and, and the personal gospel. Okay? Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
That's the gospel we're preaching. We're not preaching the gospel of the kingdom as they preached it in the first century. Okay? Now, in the book of Revelation, uh, we read in chapter 7 that there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are going to preach the gospel. And there's going to be the greatest revival the world has ever known. It's amazing. John sees them and he says, who are these guys? And if they were the church, he would know who they were. But since they're not, he says, who are these guys? And he says, these are the ones that came out of great tribulation. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And they are saved as a result of the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Now answer me this. If the church is here during the tribulation, why do we need 144,000 Jews to preach? Right? Okay. Don't answer that. We'll talk about it later. In, in Revelation 14, look at this with me. I, I bet some of you didn't even know this is in the Bible. Look with me in Revelation 14. Or some of you knew it was there and you forgot about it. But Revelation 14, verse 6. You want to read that, James? And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people. So did you know an angel's going to preach the gospel during the tribulation period? And who's he preaching it to? The whole world. That's when Matthew 24, 14 is fulfilled. Is, is the gospel going to go into the whole world by the 144,000 and by an angel? Now, now, does this not blow your mind, Brother Treadway, that we've got an angel preaching the gospel and folks still say, I ain't going to believe? That's amazing to me. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> There's only two more, and I'm not going to go through these in depth, but look in Revelation chapter 6. Look in Revelation 6, and we've already covered some of this, so I'm going to cover it real fast as a review. And for those of you that want it, I'll email you the copy of the, the slides because I'm going through, going through it real fast. So I'll, I'll send it to you if you want it. And some of you have and have already asked me for it, and, and that makes me feel real good to know you're interested. Um, if you haven't asked me for it, I'm not offended. <laughs> All right, Revelation chapter 6. I want you to notice that this takes place after... The 24 elders are seen in heaven. They've already got their Stephanus crowns, which are the crowns of the overcomer. And now Jesus is about to open the seven-seal scroll, uh, the seven-seal book. In verse, chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. This is not Jesus Christ, this is Antichrist. He is going forth conquering and to conquer. When Jesus Christ comes, he's riding on a white horse, but he's got a sword that comes out of his mouth. This guy's got a bow. And if you remember from the book of Genesis, the first time we see a bow mentioned is with Noah. And he said, I'm going to put my bow in the cloud and that'll be a token of the covenant between me and you. So I think it's significant here that the bow is the symbol of Antichrist because he's going to do what? He's going to make a covenant with Israel, the many, for, uh, for seven weeks. Or excuse me, for, for uh, seven years. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now we have the second seal in verse 3. 
And, the, and I heard the second beast say, come and see. Now notice in verse 4, there's a red horse that comes. And power was given unto him to, to do what? To take peace from the earth. Well, if he's taking peace from the earth, that means the first horse comes as a man of peace. Right? You can't take peace away unless peace has been there. It's a pseudo peace or a false peace. But this red horse takes the peace away. Uh, sounds a lot like the Olivet Discourse, doesn't it? Jesus said, first sign is take heed that no man deceive you. That's the white horse. For you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's the red horse, you see. Um, notice the third seal, verse 5. I heard the third beast say, come and see. And behold, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Guess what that is? Famine and uh, hyperinflation. We're, we're getting a, a glimpse of that now, aren't we? Verse 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth, the, the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, or a sick horse. The Greek is literally green. He's green like sickness. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth. In the first half of the tribulation, over a fourth of the world's population is going to be destroyed. And look what they're going to be destroyed with. With sword, with hunger, that's famine, and with death, that's pest the pestilences, and with the beasts of the earth. I don't fully understand that. But... Um, in the fifth seal, he sees the, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for their testimony. So, um, as you look at this, and then in, uh, in verse 12, you see an earthquake. Right? So, do you see the parallels here between the first, the birth pains, and the, and the, the seals? They're almost identical. Maybe possibly even the exact order, I don't know, I haven't done the math on it, but... You've got the wars, you've got rumors of wars, you've got famine, you've got pestilence, you've got earthquakes. And Jesus said all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Revelation chapter 6 and Matthew 24 are companion parallel passages. And they are outlining what's going to happen in the first half of the tribulation period. Now tell me, is that something you want to be here for to experience? Not me, not me. Eight billion people on the planet and over a fourth of them are killed. I think I can make a case that before the midpoint of the tribulation period, over half the world's population will be killed. We'll, we'll study the book of Revelation. But if, if, you're, if you're rolling the dice and saying, well, I'm going to wait and get saved when all this is over with, you're, you're playing a deadly game, my friend. You're playing a dangerous game. All right, last slide. So why should I care? Okay, well, I'm going to give you a few, few reasons. The first thing that we saw in the Olivet Discourse is Jesus said the temple is going to be destroyed. It says Jesus left the temple. What a sad thing for Israel was. That's just tragic. Here they've been waiting for their Messiah for thousands of years, and he's finally come. And they said, no, we don't want him. Because he doesn't look like what we think he ought to look like. He's a threat to our way of life. We don't want him. And Jesus leaves the temple. What a, what a tragic thing. That's, I don't think we really read the tragedy into Matthew 24, 1, where it says Jesus departed from the temple. He's leaving the temple for the last times, you know. It's sad that God is leaving. It reminds me of Ezekiel when the glory of God leaves. 
just sad, tragic. Without Jesus, my friend, life has no meaning. That temple was one of the, the, the wonders of the ancient world, but it was reduced to nothing. And some of us, we've built our lives, we're trying to achieve this, that, and the other. We're trying to see who has the most toys and who's going to be the most famous or whatever. None of that matters. When you get to the end of your life, you're not going to say, boy, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. You're not. When you get to the end of your life, the only thing you're going to care about is the people that you love and making sure that you are right with God. That is the only thing that you're going to care about. We too must be on guard for the tribulation period to get deceived. You can get deceived right now. All you got to do is turn on Trinity Broadcast Network. I'm sorry. Because I know some of your favorite preachers are on there. But... If you want to get deceived, just turn on so-called Christian television and you'll get deceived in a heartbeat because they're not going to tell you about Jesus coming again because they, they're interested in a kingdom here. They're not going to tell you to support your local church. They're going to say, send your money here. All right. Avoid newspaper exegesis. Now this, this tells folks. I noticed an uptick in our YouTube channel because I've been preaching about the end times, you know. And I noticed an uptick in the views. And uh, it, it always happens when we talk about the end times, you know. There's, we all have a curiosity about the future. That's, that's human nature, to have a curiosity about the future. But we have to be careful by pulling out the newspaper and saying, oh, this must be this. This must be that. The sign of the tribulation period is the signing of a seven-year covenant. And... If my theology is correct, and even though I'm coming to you as humbly as I can, I believe that it is correct on this, we won't be here to see that. So, to speculate about who the Antichrist is is a fruitless endeavor. And, and to worry. Start with God's Word, not with the newspaper. Okay? Here's another point. <laughs> now, we can have a conversation about climate change if you want to. Not today, please. We can, we can talk about climate change if you want to. We can talk about social justice if you want to. But the, problem, but, but the truth of the matter is, Jesus said there's coming a time when every, the, people are going to fight with each other. The United Nations is not going to bring world peace. They're not going to. Now, should we not try? Of course, I'm not saying we shouldn't try. I'm not saying we shouldn't do... I'm not saying that we should be... Cruel to the environment. But listen, I don't lose any sleep at night about climate change. Because the Bible says in the tribulation period, climate change is coming. And guess who's bringing it about? The Lord Jesus. He's opening the seals. He's causing climate change, if I could use that expression. So we could talk about, we could talk about vaccines. We could talk about technology. But the Bible says there's coming a time where there's going to be diseases that there's no cure for. And even our blessed COVID vaccine is not a cure. Everybody I know that's got it has had a vaccine. You know, and I, well, we'll, I'm not going there. Henry, shut up. But I'm just saying, man, even at his best, is never going to solve all the world's problems. Christians, even though we're not going through the tribulation period, you and I should expect persecution. And if the world loves you, something's wrong. It, James said, if we're a friend of the world, we're the enemy of God. Now, the basis of our security is in the Good Shepherd. Amen? 
Nevertheless, you and I, we have an obligation to abide in Christ. As times get difficult, the only way you're going to make it. You know, I see people going through things, and we all, we all are going to go through difficult times in our life. If you love Jesus, you're still going to go through trouble. That's a promise. You're going to have issues that, that cause you. And I, I see some people going through some things, and I think to myself, I don't see how they get through it without God. I don't know how they process this without any hope. I was talking with Maddie yesterday. <clears throat> we look forward to seeing her Sunday. She's going to present for us sometime in December, I hope, um, about her, her mission in Nepal. But um, I was talking with Maddie, and we, we were talking about this fact that, that for the unbeliever, the unsaved person, this world is as good as it will ever get. If you're not saved, this is as good as it will ever be. That's pretty sad. That's pretty sad. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your best days are way ahead of you. They're not behind you. They're not behind you. I'm friends with most of you in here, and I'm looking forward to becoming even better friends with, with some of you. And the good thing is, if we're believers in Jesus, we're going to be friends for the next thousand years. And even on into the next millennium, into the next million years. So we've just begun this lifetime uh, of love and friendship. Michael W. Smith, I think, used to say, friends are friends forever if the Lord is Lord of them. We're friends forever. And, and, and let me just go ahead and say, there ain't nothing that we can't work through as brothers and sisters. There there's nothing that we can't work through. Um, and it might mean that I have to say I'm sorry, and if so be, then I'll say I'm sorry. I might not want to, but I'll say it. <laughs> All right, we must obey the Great Commission. Now, the preach don't read what I said today and think, well, well Henry said we shouldn't go preach the gospel because an angel's going to do it for us. No, <laughs> that's not what I said at all. Well, we'll just leave it up to the 144,000 Jews. They'll pick up the slack. No, you and I, you know what Paul said? Paul said at some point, the last Gentile is going to come to faith. And when that happens, what's going to happen? The rapture of the church. Anybody looking for the rapture? There's not a problem in the world you have that the rapture wouldn't solve if you're saved. Right? So we're preaching the gospel everywhere we go. We're preaching the gospel by any means necessary. Okay? And what we don't finish, because we're going to leave the work undone apparently, Right? And that what the book of Revelation says? We're not going to get it done. So what we leave undone, God's got it covered, folks. And the world's greatest revival. I think that's, a mere, that's just amazing to me. In the midst of all that chaos and, and catastrophic things that God's going to have mercy one last time on the world. And they're going to come to faith. Would you stand this morning? I thank you for being patient with me. I thank you for praying for me. And I love you. And I want to see every one of you in heaven. Every one of you I want to see in heaven. I can't take it for granted that all of you are ready today. So I'm speaking to you today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Okay? I'm not just talking about knowing about God. A lot of people know about the Lord. Just knowing, about, knowing facts about Jesus. That's not enough. You need to know, know him personally. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for everybody in this room. He paid the price for you. If you're here today, 
you don't know Jesus, and you're wondering, can I go to heaven? I'm going to tell you right now, your ticket to heaven has been paid for. You know, it's always, it's always wonderful when somebody invites you to an event and they say, your ticket's been paid for. It's not going to cost you anything, but it cost him everything. It cost him everything. And Jesus says, if you'll come to me and by faith you will accept what I've done for you, he says, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Christ has paid the price for your salvation by his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you'll come to him, he will accept you just as you are, but he won't leave you that way. He'll change your life forever. You'll be a new creation. All things will become new. If you're a believer here today and you've been kind of lukewarm and kind of lax, kind of wondering, look, folks, soon and very soon the trumpet is going to sound. And you and I as believers, we're not off the hook. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to be rewarded based on what we have or haven't done and what we've done with good motives or with impure motives. And I would say, let's get busy for the Lord and let's do it with a right motive. Amen. Would you come?